All right, I think we are live, finally. Um, probably I should remove this so you can see me. Awesome. And welcome everyone to Unsafe Space on Deprogrammed. I am your co-host, Carter Laren. And as always, I'm joined by the bad mamma jamma, Carrie Smith, let me unmute her so she can actually speak. Carrie. Hi, Carter. Hi, Mandy. Hi. Uh, I have to cancel my spotlight video. We're using Zoom now instead of uh, instead of Google Hangouts. We're hoping that Zoom has better quality and is less incentivized to uh, mess with us. Use, <laughs> use its social justice uh, anger to mess with us. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, welcome everyone to the new and improved program. Uh, I actually have a graphic of that. We'll, we'll introduce we'll introduce Mandy. Anyway, um, you can go to unsafespace.com to uh, follow us. I know that website needs to be redone, but you know stuff is there still. So go look at it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at unsafe space. YouTube, uh, obviously, the channel is unsafe space. No, just unsafe space is the channel uh, on YouTube. Uh, please like, share, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. We're still obviously just starting out, and the more you can help share these discussions, which are super important, uh, then the better we'll all be. And maybe we'll have uh, good comedy return to late night television. You never know. It could happen. <laughs> so um, as Carrie, I think, gave us a sneak preview of, um, today we're excited to have Mandy Stattmiller on the show. Mandy is Penthouse Magazine's new advice columnist. Um, it was actually Penthouse Magazine who published her recent article uh, and video that criticized uh, Judd Apatow's hypocritical virtue signaling. Um, I think you called him a woke Stasi, actually. She's author of <laughs> Unwifable, which was named one of the best, most unforgettable books of 2018 by both by the New York Post, um, Marie Claire, Pride, Elite Daily, Pure Wow, and Refinery29. You can follow her on Twitter at Mandy Stat, M-A-N-D-Y-S-T-A-D-T. Uh, Mandy, Let's hope everything works technically. Welcome to the program. <laughs> Why, thanks. Carrie, did you see, I just licked my book to try and make you laugh. I didn't, you're a little tiny in the window unless you're talking. So I didn't get to see that. Okay. <laughs> you could do, oh, nice. <laughs> I let it fall like that. I have a, I have a copy of the book as well. And I think Carter has a graphic he's going to put up. I'm wearing my fake hair, Carrie. Um, I'm not at my best. I just want anyone who's looking at this and who's um, turning to the person on their left and their right because they're having a big unsafe space viewing party thing <laughs> to watch this. And they're like, girl, she looks busted. <laughs> I was asleep 10 minutes ago. I'm not at my best. I'm not busted. I'm better than I've ever looked. I just. You're also uh, probably jet lagged because you had a 5 a.m. flight. Yeah, I sat next to two uh, Jehovah's Witnesses who hot temp conservatives and Democrats. This is a totally unexploited base if you can infiltrate the Jehovah's Witnesses because they don't vote. They only recognize God's law. And that's like, you know, eight million or eight billion or something. And anyway, so what you do is you go in, you flip all these witnesses and you get them to vote for your team, and boom, you're welcome. 
<laughs> you have, uh, that's a very funny thought. I think we lost, I think we lost Carter. Did we? I don't think we need Carter girl. <laughs> well, okay. So I, so just so, so people you know get who you back? are. What do you, what do you want to do? How, well, how, I think sorry. he, let's get him back. I think there I'm he is. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here. I'm here. I just, it was a problem on my end. Okay. There we go. So people, so that people know who you are, not like your fault or anything. So that people know a little bit more about you, Mandy, I just wanted to say the book that we were holding up is your new memoir called Unwifeable. Yeah. And for anybody who's listening and not watching, uh, the paperback just came out. And yeah. uh, I've read this book. I think it's brilliant. I think it's touching. It's um, it's at times I laughed out loud, but at times it really makes you kind of, it's about a journey about figuring out how to love yourself. Would you say that? That's yeah, and, and how to be honest with yourself because I I'm very interested in all the identities that we drape ourselves in throughout our life. And so I think that sometimes when you're able to bring all your different splintered fragments of identities, that's how you stop from being an extremist or an identitarian because you realize it's part of humanity to have a lot of different styles of opinions and yeah. And behavior that you don't have to be, you know, black or white type of thing. So you don't have to be like one, just fraction, one specific yeah. uh, part of your identity. Yeah. Um, you, don't, you don't have to be a, a, a joiner. You can, you can say something that goes against, the grain, even if you don't get the approval of all of your peers that you normally get the approval of, and it can feel lonely and painful sometimes, but that ultimately in the long run, that's one of the most rewarding ways to live is through being an authentic human being. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying these things nearly as well as uh, what's her name? I think Alice Miller. I was, I'm finishing putting together this piece for Medium and I've been drawing quotes from different authors and I was looking at quotes from uh, The Drama of the Gifted Child, which is Al Gore's favorite book. And sometimes when you look at uh, a selection of, of quotes or I was looking at Joseph Campbell um, and all of his writings on myth and those authors have a way of saying uh, something about identity that you just like immediately want to print up t-shirts with it on it. So I need to work to, to uh, have small chat in pithy t-shirtable sound bites. I'll do that next appearance. So what about your, um, what about the Judd Apatow article? Do you want to talk about that or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, really interesting story because I was going to do something that a lot of journalists do. Like sometimes I'll see old uh, people that I worked with um, for when I was at the New York Post and I'll kind of think in the back of my mind, I'll be like, yeah, I know you're the one who gave that anonymous quote to blank blank. And uh, a lot of times as uh, journalists, you can't you maintain a face of uh 
you know, not being a dickhead who has enemies and instead you're kind of a little weasel and you place black <laughs> items behind other people's backs. And because I'm very much in the world of comedy and Hollywood and entertainment, even though every time I kept seeing Judd Apatow recently, I it drove me nuts and I, I wanted to go off on all of the hypocrisy that I saw just from having been, you know, kind of a scholar of comedy that a lot of things he was criticizing others for in this new ultra woke caricature costume that he was putting on. He had done far worse in his movies in offensive jokes. But what I was gonna do was I was just gonna, you know, I even called probably like three or four different journalists being like, hey, if I give you this info, would you do a story on it? And then I got- why were you Why were you calling other journalists? Were you afraid to do it under your name at first? Yeah, 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 that, that sorry, that's what I was trying to say. Um, I think I might still be half asleep and this is actually just like a lucid dream. <laughs> so <laughs> if at any point yes. I have to take a biology test and I can't find my textbook, I'm gonna know that this isn't real. Uh, yeah, so I was, yeah, I was afraid of doing it under my own name because I work in Hollywood and uh, you could, you become, Kryptonite. I mean, I, I I tend to befriend all the kryptonite people in Hollywood, you know. So I worked with a guy who uh, he sued UTA, and he had you know gone from being one of the top people to then, you know, no one wants to work with you. You don't want to be known as the person who's going to be a backstabbery non team player, but I've never worked with the guy. I just okay. knew, I have so many friends who work with him and uh, I, I just didn't want to blacklist myself. And then what happened was I just got a wave of courage the same way that, like I, I wrote a story about um, going on a couple dates with Aaron Sorkin and then him doing a news, a uh, 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 a character inspired by me that on the newsroom that he called uh, Bad Mandy, and it was like <laughs> ridiculous caricature tabloid reporter played by Hope Davis. And I wasn't gonna do a story on that either. And then the same thing happened. I was like living at home with my parents, I was 36 years old. I think I was trying to be a vegan and I'd been wearing this <laughs> for like three days. And um, there was like a Scarface marathon on TV. And I accidentally spilled the pot of lentil soup all over my dress. Scarface started for the second time. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write that story. Like, I get those little moments of, you know, feeling like, ah, if it's the end of my career, then it's the end of my career because it does feel really good to take risks sometimes and see what happens, but very quickly, I know I'm talking like way too much, but well, very, 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 very quickly, I just wanna say one thing to clarify, which is that another thing is that I've been living off of uh, the money from my 
booked and I had, you get paid a lot of times in, you know, uh, bifurcated, trifurcated payments. So I was waiting on my third payment. I had such fear of the mob going after me that I had this image of them getting, you know, Simon and Schuster to pull my last payment um, that I actually, you know, I didn't talk about a lot of things. And I think that also helped was when it went in the bank and I was thinking about just, you know, placing the story with someone else. I was just like, you know what? I think I should go forward and write about this and it'll be interesting. So I think a lot of people watching or listening who aren't in the world of journalism or entertainment, they probably, I think they would be interested in knowing, do you think, and I'm interested, is that fear of, of, the mob coming after you based on what you write, like in these, in this sort of woke time that we're living in is, do you think that's prevalent? Cause you, you talked about the fear of not being known as like the backstabber, but it seems to me there's a new fear now, which is saying the correct, speaking the correct things and attacking the right targets. And so for you to attack, not attack, but to criticize Judd Apatow, uh, who's one of the wokest people on Twitter <laughs> um, is, <laughs> Is there like a new, do you think that a lot of people have that fear of making sure if they're, if they're journalists that they're speaking the correct way? Yeah, I think that uh, we're just living in a really amplified gotcha culture and every journalist is like well-groomed and trained in gotcha techniques. That's what we do. And so th that in a way is nothing new, but it's the... I'm going to say the word that, that would get me flagged as alt-right on Facebook. Uh, as the Overton window has shifted, that was one of the warning things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that? Facebook has rolled out this new thing yesterday. They said they're going to start um, banning all white nationalist speech. So I, I think Overton window might now get you, uh, you're right, kicked off. <laughs> I just, when you told me that term and explained it to me, I clarified a lot of things for me uh, from unsafe space to all panelists, by the way, can you guys hear me? Who is that? Do you have a is that Carter? Yeah, that's me. Can you not hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. The thing on my end looks like I'm, it, it's all screwed up. Thank you. That's all. I just needed validation. <laughs> <laughs> Typical I'll shut up man. Now. No. <laughs> Did you just so, explain talking to us? <laughs> um, Wait, what? She's, uh, you're mansplaining talking. So, so Mandy, the thing yes, about it. I'll mansplain everything that you give me an opportunity to mansplain, so. Uh, the th so the thing about gotcha culture, I want to go back to that for a second, because what I loved about your piece, I thought this was brilliant. You were criticizing him, but you were doing so almost as an illustration. Like you did it as an example. You're basically like, you can do this to anyone. Like what you, what Judd Apatow and what those people are, the mo people who are in the mob are doing by going after and trying to get, uh, going after people like Louis C.K. or, you know, trying to get people um, almost censured in a way or, 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 or punished for things they've said in the past or done in the past, that it can be done to anyone, including Judd Apatow or oh. maybe even him specifically. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, usually people who are 
super in fear and super trying to be an informer, they are either someone who humiliation or public shaming is something they live in terror of. And I think I used to be that way a long time, but then I think I got humiliated so many times. It's like, it turned out to be a gift because it gave me a little bit more courage, but I didn't have, excuse me, I didn't have financial courage. Mm-hmm. And, and also actually, you know what? I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have the sense of knowing that everything I was discussing was something that I felt confident about. I think that I still felt kind of susceptible and impressionable from people who might say the, you know, some of the, the branding words, like, like the idea of, the idea of being branded a racist, such a, um, a sickening thought to me. It's like, I kind of would do anything that anyone said to me to not be given that label. But, you know, I realized that the people, anyone who ever used that, it was always like a rich white woman totally out of touch liberal (laughs) yes yeah I mean I and I started to think through you know I think each of each of the areas that I was uncertain about and felt more comfortable with you know what I the the positions that I was espousing and it's interesting to see, I mean, um, my husband, Pat Dixon, who was on a couple of weeks ago, like the two of us, we will a lot of times, I, I mean, I'm just realizing this now, but we've had the, I feel like both of us have said, yeah, this happened, things are changing. And, but I think that that is actually true that people are starting to recognize that a lot of the identity politics is this cult-like, very sick, you know, anti all best practices in psychology and uh, all, all of the fields that look towards living a fulfilled life. For instance, you know, I mean, in, uh, uh, is it Jonathan Chait? Is that, is that that dude's name who wrote? Height? Yeah, he wrote The Coddling of the American Mind and then he mm-hmm. had a book come out. Um, like he, you know, he talks about how if you look at one of the most like effective forms of psychology, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. And 
a lot of the principles of that go directly against identitarian politics and yeah, yeah. I, I, th I think that's that's being I, I always want to be able to defend my positions and I feel like I'm in a place now where I can whereas I think early on when I was starting to get a lot of hate for not divorcing Pat because he was a Trump supporter. <laughs> I mean, I did just from- yeah. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Yeah. Why are you laughing? laughing? That's like um, divorce advice shaming. <laughs> yeah. But that's real. You got hate mail for writing about the fact that you and your husband had different political beliefs right? Yeah. And I got a lot of ice out from media that I had always worked really well with in the past. And yeah, that made me very bitter and want to play the, as John Oliver would call it, you know, the whataboutism game, like the eye for an eye, the gotcha, the, you know, the whole point of the Apatow essay because I I would look at editors who would suddenly turn icy to me because my follow-up column from my initial one, which was Trump is tearing my marriage apart, which is, you know, <laughs> as I've told you, I mean, I feel like I'm just like recycling lines, but I wrote it that way because the way journalism works is like, you can't get things published with headlines like, my husband and I had a 20 minute argument about Trump and then we went on with the rest of our happy lives. <laughs> lead to clicks. And so like, I always have looked very practically <laughs> upon that tabloid template that, you know, and so, yeah. Anyway, um, you know how the game is played with the headlines. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and as I, as I wrote in the really great book, Unwifable, <laughs> I wrote uh, about how I learned a lot of these lessons. Like when I did a dating column, I would sign off on the way the page looked and it would say, it would be some subtle nuanced headline like, confronting the ghosts of relationship past. And then I opened the newspaper on Sunday and it would say how I went from chill to psycho. And like, oh my God, what? Is, okay, all right, yeah. How I became psycho. Yeah, sure, that's, I wrote that. When, they, when they went icy on you, was it like, did they tell you why explicitly or did they just kind of like give you the cold shoulder and not tell you that it was because you didn't divorce your husband? Oh yeah, I just, I just, uh, I, I, I just, I, I noticed a very drastic change in my interactions with certain editors, and that's fine. That's their prerogative. But it was, I know that I would have been appointed the, you know, Queen Duchess of all New York media, and just like, you know, carried 
on their shoulders by all the press people if my follow-up article had been, I divorced my Nazi husband, you guys. Thanks for telling me what to do. No, I didn't do that. Like, uh, I mean, yeah. So that's... I I feel like they're going to knock on my door and been like, that's (laughs) hand-shaking, you know? I don't know. But, But, you know, another interesting world has opened up to me because of it. I feel like kind of like Carrie, like I sought her out you know, as a as a friend when she wrote her, you know, viral uh, medium essay uh, about because I just I thought, okay, that's a very what I what I recognized in Carrie was that she really seemed like she was someone who really wrestled with a lot of these issues ethically, really wanted to be on the right team while also starting to figure out that maybe teams were the whole problem in the first place and so yeah i've actually i've i've met several friends who you know say that they feel like they're politically homeless or are able to have a conversation where you don't need to be doing this kind of performative competitive outrage which is what i just i can't deal with that you know i mean I just, so, I'm not so, at that. Can we back up for just a second? Because I know oh, you and Carrie sorry. both are really, oh, I'm sorry, then we can't. Um, you and Carrie are both like in the, at least you have a, you're still in the entertainment world. Um, Carrie like has a background, um, uh, entertainment slash media, right? Um, I don't know, Carrie's for me. in the entertainment world, trust me. But yeah, no, I know well, what you mean. No I, I didn't know. Who, I didn't know who Judd Apatow was really. I like kind of vaguely knew, and I didn't really know what he was doing until I read your stuff. So it might be helpful just to like back up and tell people this is who this guy is, and this is what he's been doing, and this is why you picked on him specifically. Because otherwise, it just sounds like why are you picking on this particular guy? Who the hell is he? I mean, well, to me, I think it's very brave that as a white man you would stand up for your fellow white man. <laughs> I'm not standing up for him. I'm asking you to no, tell I'm us sorry. why you picked on him. Carrie's like, Carrie's like, I because I just came from visiting her. <laughs> like she, yeah. I guess my sense of humor is like, a really obnoxious and b kind of not that funny. <laughs> because like, no, I'm just don't have a sense of humor. Right. I don't. I don't know. Anyway, um, I find I find Mandy. Uh, I find you're, I think you're hilarious, but like you said, you, you attract kryptonite people like myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Judd Apatow is a, um, a terrifically talented uh, comedy director. And the reason that I, I, I just, Sorry, I'm, I'm going to try and actually just answer your question rather than including 700 tangents. Uh, so who, who, who he is? Yeah, he's, he's someone who has been a, you know, I mean, he was one of uh, the Hollywood reporters, most uh, 100 powerful people in Hollywood because he not only... Uh, executive produces himself he also will then you know be uh, attached as a producer to a lot of other projects that he might not be directly involved in so a lot of the just best most hilarious comedy 
films of the last decade, he's been behind. And so his big breakout was the 40 year old virgin. I remember seeing the 40 year old virgin in 2005 and just feeling like so incredibly inspired that something so funny <laughs> and real and weird in the way that it was funny that it was on the screen that this guy had made that happen. But, you know, I mean, it had that famous uh, scene where it's just, uh, he uses a lot of improvisation with his actors and they're a lot of times very funny themselves. So there was a whole scene where, you know how I know you're gay? And it was that kind of absurdist second city style. Uh, you know how I know you're gay? You uh, order, uh, French soup bowls with the crust, with extra crust, you know, stuff like that. But by his standards today, that would be something that would warrant problematic. A thousand, a thousand think pieces about, you know, why that was literally killing LGBT people um rather than you know recognizing that uh that's not the problem the problem is actual discrimination not comedy you know i mean that's capturing how a lot of times uh especially you know young men i mean if we can finally um socially re-engineer uh, society to take out gay, retarded, all these things that I've always found, you know, young men using, that will be a feat. But I don't, I just don't think that'll ever happen because like human nature is to say inappropriate things and it's a, uh, a release it's a catharsis you know mm -hmm. so anyway yeah and um he 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 in his stand-up special are you drinking LaCroix um oh my god yeah, I, mean, I, I, I was I was respecting you for a while there but I'm not sure Carter it's LaCroix <laughs> excuse me oh did I did I culturally appropriate <laughs> the beverage Carter, you don't need to actually like textbook rule by rule follow the game, you know. I like, don't? Um, no, no. But that was very, that was a very good nag. I feel insecure, and that's if, good. Um, Pat ever that's gets good. hit by a bus, and same with your wife, I will totally fuck you now because you said that lacrosse thing. I feel right. Insecure. I well, want. I could wear a, a more uh, ostentatious hat or something to really seal the deal if you want. I can go find one. I think everyone should read the game. I think Carrie should read the game. I always recommend <laughs> that book to women because it's a very interesting. And Neil, I mean, I, I, I like is no that, stuff. Is that the um, the that pickup artist book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is really good. Yeah, it's anytime, a anytime a guy does some like, you know, teasing thing like that, it's like in my obnoxious, emasculating nature to like call it out and make everything uncomfortable. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm super comfortable now. So, so uh, could I uh, manage well, 
your judgmental thing or are you going to finish? I don't know if I'm capable of finishing. I am can like, I, can I I pick am it up? Most, like long-winded, tangential person. I'm going to pretend I'm on CNN and speak in talking points. Uh, I'm going to use a lot of metaphors. So Judd Apatow is basically like the Goldilocks of comedy. I don't know what that means, but it's like, it sounds <laughs> I can quote you to you if you want. Huh? You, you, I can quote you to yourself if you want. Would you like- Oh, that would be, I would fucking pay you- That's the ultimate mansplaining. Ready here. This is what you think. <laughs> this is a quote from you. I'm in a lip Judd, a Judd Apatow is a symbol of an extremely dangerous and disgustingly hypocritical kind of moral authoritarianism that is currently endangering free speech and comedy. There you have it. I think that was well. Yeah, yeah, I wrote that too. Oh, brilliant. John Levine, John Levine of the rap when they asked for comments, but I wrote such a long comment. I sent him like a book as a comment and then was like real cocky. And I was like, quote this whole thing or quote none of it. And, he, <laughs> and I think he was like, what the fuck? Like, right, yeah, I'll use, I'll use the quote that your editor gave me, babe. Like, so I, I, yeah, I, I included that. When I put the video up on YouTube, I included a couple screen grabs of that response. And, you know, and I did mean that because I, I just, I just am, I, I'm very sick of people going after dark, fucked up, twisted, offensive comedy because for me and for my family um which is very defined by um and I you know I talk about him about as often as I did in my college application essay but it was just a defining thing because I, I grew up with like a you know blind disfigured um combat vet who had a very fucked up inappropriate sense of humor and our family was very inappropriate, but it's also how he dealt with his tragedy and it's how we communicated. And I think that for people who, it, it'd be like, I don't know if you've ever um, had um, a lot of interactions with uh, cops, but like a lot of cops have really gallows yeah. humor because otherwise you would just, kill yourself. I mean, it's just when you are exposed to some of the most horrific things, um, you a lot of times, one of the ways that you, you know, deal with it is to say wrong things. Um, and that's the, that's the beauty about comedy. That's, yeah, I think cause humor, having a, a dark sense of humor, uh, it does help you deal with, with trauma or with, you know, things in your life that are, it's a better response, I think, to some of the darkness to make it funny than to sort of revere it. And this new, this new era we're in uh, where you have people like, well, people like Apatow who used to, who used to, uh, he used to work in absurd, like you said, comedy. He used to push the, the lines of what was, acceptable or not to laugh at or he was I don't know I guess you would say he was edgier and now he's one of the now he's become one of the woke police it's like this type of humor is off limits right and so and 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 what I what I did 
in the in the piece that I wrote was I compared, for example, he uh, went on the View and he talked about his show, which um, it just got canceled on HBO. Uh, but it was called Crashing, and and it had some really you know great uh, moments. But it also just it also felt very uh, pedantic and moralizing and like someone was trying to teach you a lesson. I, I, I tweeted out a quote um, that I came across when I was getting quotes for this medium piece from uh, Joseph Campbell. I don't think I know how to drink. <laughs> like half of it goes down my face. Anyway, um, but he said a quote, which was, um, you know, like, the zealot tries to clear the world rather than clearing what's in his heart. Oh, that's and, a great quote. Yeah. And I feel like, so in crashing, so Apatow went on the view and was talking about how they had a scene where a comedian was doing a really bad, awful routine about a guy who didn't know what can, consent was and where they got it was from looking at some old thing that Bill Cosby did. No, I'm not defending Bill Cosby. Um, although I was realizing that he was my commencement speaker at, speaker at Northwestern when I graduated. Wow. Yeah, I was thinking of that because I was watching the amazing um, Elizabeth Holmes Theranos doc on HBO. Oh, that, isn't that awesome? I just, that was that was such a great. It should I be required viewing for yeah for everyone. And what is it? So it's this woman who she was the youngest self-made uh, billionaire because of the valuation of her company. She dropped out of Stanford when she was nineteen years old, and she uh, was the darling of a lot of um, older, very well-connected men like Henry Kissinger and uh, I think Eric Schmidt of Google and um, Bill Clinton vouched for her, did panels with her. And she had this great idea, which is that if you pinprick and get a drop of blood that you could run this full spectrum assay to be able to instantly tell people you are negative for hepatitis, but you have, you know. Um, there was like several hundred. Yeah, tests I, I was trying to think of another one that was like d definitely determined by uh, blood. But the problem was that, you know, she just really didn't have, she was a lot more marketing and flash than she was the science hmm. and uh well i didn't want to derail you i just want to know what you're talking what you guys were talking about oh right right yeah i think it just started as like a uh can you rewind the tape so yes bill cosby oh right 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 yeah oh so anyway they had her speaking um at a commencement and I was thinking what an interesting roundup of 
later disgraced commencement speaker. <laughs> like I should get a coupon for like one free commencement speaker, right? I mean, yeah. they took back all his degrees, like, or like, you know, like 20 bucks off at Red Lobster or something, you know, just something for having had a disgraced commencement speaker. Uh, yeah, that was the whole point of that. But it's also very interesting with her because she is definitely someone who is a good, a lot of what we're talking about with the entire, with the performative wokeness is very different than I feel like people who are, who are really actively fighting um, racism and sexism and discrimination because it's like, you know, sometimes I, when you start to get embittered about how reactionary everyone's getting, you also forget, it's like all this shit is real, which is why it's triply insulting right. when people are, you know, crying, crying wolf over a, you know, a microaggression of bumping into you at the coffee station and maybe it wasn't steeped in institutional racism you know maybe like me they don't have enough money to afford new contact lenses so they're wearing an old glasses prescription and they fucking were out of step and bumped into you you know like not everything is anyway yeah not everything is uh about your sex or your race it's not a that's funny. Um, Has Judd Apatow responded to anything that you've said about him or done? No, um, which is because he's smart. You shouldn't. If you ever get attacked in the press, uh, you should never respond. It's the Barbara Streisand effect. You know, it's um, yep. it's the most idiotic thing you can do in the world to respond uh, to breathe life into. <laughs> someone uh, saying something about you because you not only uh, signal boost that person's critique, um, but you basically give new, you know, goodies for people to feed on. You create an entire, a whole, an entirely new news cycle. Mm -hmm. Has anyone followed up with him and said like, "Hey, I yeah, yeah I read no, no." I mean, like, I mean, the all the media coverage of it. I mean, yeah, Penthouse's lawyer they reached out to him for comment. They gave it to him like twenty four hours in advance, and um, and then the uh, Hollywood Reporter, uh, um, or not the Hollywood Reporter, sorry, uh, the Wrap. Um, they did a preview of it. Um, they reached out to him. Did didn't get anything for comment. Yeah, I would have been surprised if he did comment because all that is is um, all that is is responding to someone who says, when did you stop beating your wife? You know, you're destined to lose. You know, yeah. you can't. Uh, I mean, although I guess with me, like I'm kind of a weirdo. So I was like, let's not cancel him. Let's everybody be friends, you know. <laughs> Uh, kind of, you know, like maybe he'll change by reading this, which I wanted to ask you about your. Yeah, I 
felt like I, I felt like I saw, you know, a little more, although I, I imagine, you know, he hates me with the, uh, the, the intensity, of at least one burning sun, because, you know, not long after the piece ran, you know, his show didn't get renewed on HBO, which it was definitely going to be on the brink of anyway, because HBO usually cancels its, you can look and see where shows are ranked. And because even if something is critically acclaimed, um, you know, like uh, Mike White's show Enlightened, that didn't get renewed. Um, oh, that was a great show. Yeah, it was a critical darling, but when the ratings are fairly low, um, but I'm sure that my piece also didn't help. But the reason that I also wrote it is because I have trouble resisting, you know, all of my, all of my journalism training is to be a, you know, trend spotter and to notice when everyone is, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. You're, um, I think you're a VC, so you can now, you know, develop this or, or whatever. But like, here's an example of like trend spotting. Um, Christina Hoff Summers the other day, she retweeted someone who said, I guarantee you that there's going to be a big business someday in uh, facial technology defeating cosmetics. Because in China, facial technology is now, you check into the airport through facial recognition. And uh, one of my favorite shows is this uh, really smart, interesting, weird, funny Amazon original called uh, Patriot. And in season two, he does that. He has someone I think it's season two. He has someone pull out his uh, some of his teeth, uh, and so his face gets bloated. And as he's going through the facial recognition, he's like, <laughs> to, um, and so he passes it. Um, so seeing something like that, you're like, that would be a great story. And so for me, because I, I follow comedy avidly, I saw again and again and again and again people saying as Judd Apatow was really going in hard after Louis C.K. in particular for doing, you know, kind of unwoke comedy in his com in his comeback, um, a lot of comedians would say, well, when you know, karma has a the left eat their own. I can't wait to see what comes out on you. And I kept waiting for it to happen, for someone to do it, and it never did. And to me, I sometimes, uh, I just, I have a, one of those weird minds where I can just call up exact bits of dialogue or, or scenes from years ago. And so I was you know, instantly like a jukebox pulling up, well, this is what you would use mm -hmm. to sink him. And this is what, um, this is how you would do it. And the way that I justify doing that is by calling out saying, this is, I'm just using the mathematical formula for takedown 
101. And there were certain things where, I mean, some people really get in the spirit of it. And there was someone who was like, you could also say that technically he met his wife, Leslie Mann, when she was auditioning for uh, the cable guy. And he was in a position of power. He was executive producer. She was just auditioning. He said in, you know, Glamour magazine that uh, I'm going to make her my wife. Uh, that was a very unfair power dynamic, blah, blah, blah. And I was, I was like, yeah, even I couldn't. Can't go there. It just, to me, it's like, that's a whole level of. Woke. Absurdity. Um, where even for the point of making an argument, it's hard for me to do that because it's like, do we start invalidating all the people who fall in love at work, <laughs> you know, where it's, anyway. Yeah. They are though, that, you're right. That is one of the, uh, for the wokest of the woke, any kind of what they call power imbalance. It's like, some of them view that as you're taking advantage, you know, that yeah. you're- and, and, and I mean, and obviously a casting couch situation is taking advantage but um i for one don't get behind the idea of feminism that infantilizes and completely strips women of their agency yep i i've hit on men at work men have hit on me we've all been okay i i mean i've also had uh yeah people be creeps who intimated you know i could think of like a comedy producer who was married who definitely intimated you know that things could happen if i you know was way too um uh too too much very much like abusing his power but also like who gives a shit like i just i mean i just i just told him you can say no. Yeah. I just, <laughs> you know, I just, uh, and I mean, I guess I shouldn't say who gives a shit because to me, here, here's how I feel about just Hollywood in general is just, it is, it's, you know, it's a, it's a rotten apple that, I, so to be selectively crying out about a little piece of the brown mush when it's all brown mush. I don't know how to make this metaphor work because I also like Hollywood, but <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Maybe when you candy it, it's delicious at the end or something. But I guess to me, something that makes me really angry is when people try to apply idealism to reality in a way that only the most privileged would even have the time to fantasize about. Right. Uh, because most people, you know, they're not thinking about how to socially re-engineer society according to what seems fair. They're trying to, you know, make rent and raise their kids and pay for their lacrosse. You know, so <laughs> this, uh, this is a, again, I don't know how to drink. This is a great point though, about most people. 
we'll take that clip and replay it over and over again for people. So, <laughs> um, so most people, I think that's a great point you made. I don't know if most people are aware of all this, the kind of, uh, I, I think, I think people who are out there living their lives, making rent, not really, uh, on Twitter, not really paying attention to this. I think they're starting to become touched by it in some ways. You know, I, I was talking to uh, a good old boy <laughs> a few weeks ago who was just encountering this in the school in his kid's school was encountering some of this kind of stuff. And, and I don't think he could see that it was part of this bigger picture yet because it, it's just, you know, he's encountering it in this one way where his, son is learning certain things and coming home and telling him about that. Um, but I think most people aren't uh, like s- sitting in it like like we are. So I think that's a great point. And actually Mandy, when she was visiting me, uh, we were at a UPS and she asked this guy, do you know who Jesse Smollett is? And he was like, no, <laughs> like, no. Yeah, and it was so awesome because it just, I mean, at least for me, it makes you feel like the hugest asshole <laughs> for all of the hours you've wasted in your life where you could be as blissful as that fucking guy, not involved <laughs> in these petty, bickering, you know, overblown like modern day equivalents of what high school gossip used to be. We no longer talk about how can you believe that Sharon blew Bill while Cindy was making out with Jenny at prom because <laughs> everyone did shooters beforehand. Like that, like we love gossip. Humans love gossip. And so for people who are interested in, you know, societal and cultural issues, something like, you know, Jesse Smollett, it's just it's also, I mean, it's also uh, rage porn, you know? I mean, I, I was saying when I came home and uh, Pat was watching Fox and I just said, I just said, ugh, you know, cause I just, to me, it felt like, it felt like a bizarro version of MSNBC. It's hard to find, you know, watching that, Tim Pool on Joe Rogan interview recently. I feel like uh, the little bit that I've you know read and seen of that reporter Tim Pool, who kind of broke out um, through his uh, innovative use of reporting techniques, like using a drone to fly over Occupy, and was very much a liberal. And who you're killing me? My heart is like. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know if I miss you, Carrie, but I miss your fucking dog. Oh, so for anybody funny. listening and not watching, uh, Tiger's in frame now. Tiger misses you too, Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of it is just, a lot of it is just people, I mean, even, even this you know, a uh, podcast, we all agree with each other, you know, um, th- there isn't, uh, th- th- there isn't, um, a really kind of, um, wholehearted 
attempt to bridge the gap. And I think that the same way that we might look back at like the slow celebrityification of culture around the time of the Iraq war, when it used to be just a very, you would have a little bit of uh, shame to know a celebrity story. Around that time, it became, you know, socially acceptable for um, everyone to know what was happening in various uh, celebrities' lives. And it's even more so now, you know, it's like all the, all this Huxley, a brave new world. I think we will, we will look back and I think we will see how just completely in the throes of this rage porn culture that we're in, that it just feels so good to get those little serotonin hits of fighting with someone on Twitter and taking a, you know, and I'm not saying, I mean, I think this is great and good. I just, uh, that for me is something that I really, I really struggle with. There, there was an excellent piece on Medium recently that looked at how um, outrage, outrage porn is the irresistible supernormal stimuli for humans on the equivalent of say a biological study where they look at these beetles in Australia who are humping beer bottles because it looks to them like a sexual equivalent of, I guess, humping another beetle. And, yeah. and it can, I, I don't know if they die, but it's not a good thing for them, but they can't resist it. It's their super normal stimuli. And this essay argues that this outrage porn culture that we live in, you know, on the left and the right, and even, even the, I mean, my favorite are the essays about, there was an essay on, on Mel that was like the five centrists you meet in hell, you know, <laughs> because cause that's what it is to be someone who tries to find any common ground is to be a demonized messenger of Satan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to have discussions like that, right? I mean, um, it seems like the side, like people don't want to talk to each other much. They would rather be outraged. And when they and when they are face to face, it almost never it almost never carries over. You know, I mean, I mean, it's it's actually a a, a tragedy. I'm really I didn't expect to love. Brene Brown's uh, new book as much as I love it so far. Brene Brown became very famous for her viral TED talk on vulnerability. And then she wrote a book, um, Daring Greatly, which is based on the, the uh, Roosevelt quote about, you know, the only people who really matter are those you know, with the blood and sweat in the arena, who, because even if you fail, you, you know, you at least you dared greatly. And so her new book 
um, she, she, she quotes this one military leader who discovered that when people talk about exhaustion, a lot of times what they mean is that they're lonely. And there's, there's just such an epidemic of loneliness. And I mean, it sounds really saccharine to say, but um, I think that contributes a little bit to to some of that fracturing. And I, and I also think, um, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's that, um, there's that economic principle. Um, what is it called? Uh, uh, the, the, the fallacy of sunk costs and mm -hmm. The fallacy of sunk costs is, well, I've already put all this into this stock, into this company. I can't give up now. Right. And I think that actually goes over into explaining why it can be so difficult for people to yield any way, because it is so completely um, mentally fracturing to imagine, I might have been wrong about something all along. That is my, my brain is going to self protectively push out that as even being a possibility. That's a brilliant it, point. Yeah. Cause I think is, they've even done studies that like, um, presenting someone with counter evidence to a firmly held belief actually solidifies their belief rather than helps, uh, wow. uh yeah, there's a book that I read years ago called change or die. And I think I quoted um, from it in a piece I did for the Daily Beast called Sympathy for the Incel, where I was looking at, you know, hey, what might have contributed to this crisis of young male boys being um, competitively nihilistic in their black-pilled identities? I mean, it is, it is, it is a fucking heartbreaker to go into some of those intel forums and to read when someone even tries to venture something a little bit positive like hey I think I want to go see Jordan Peterson and then people are you know just the way it's like I don't think there's anything you know crueler or more vicious than teenage boys or, or girls you know and and just shaming them for like being you know, a Caring. trying to do something positive. Yeah, it's like name calling and yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, incel is, uh, I was just going to define that because we try to define things sometimes for people listening. Incel, if you don't know it, it's it's what they're calling this uh, community of, of mostly young men, I would say, who are in, in it stands for involuntarily celibate. And yeah. uh, the, I think the one of the most famous quote incels was probably the guy the, that you people might have heard of is Elliot Roger, the the kid who um, shot up Santa Barbara and went on a wrote a manifesto and yeah, and there's an entire subculture uh, terminology to the group because 
a lot of these young men are very brilliant in um, a kind of on the spectrum way that I think I relate to. And so they have this complete knack for categorizing and applying almost mathematical definitions to what should be gushy, amorphous social science concepts. And uh, so they talk about, instead of just like, women won't fuck us, they're, they're like, oh, this is all because of um, hegemony and women's biological drive to want to, uh, you know, level up in their status. And now with the advent of dating apps, they could be getting the crumbs of, you know, uh, they call them Chad guys who are like a, you know, 10-10 looks money physique wise of um, they can be getting like super chads, like, you know, little dick crumblings on, on they can be penciled in for uh, Thursday uh, at 8 p.m. to 9.30 p.m., you know, hookup. And they'll take that versus going with a 666 guy um, I don't know. Oh God. I just like said the devil, like a, a, a seven, six, five, you know, seven looks, six jobs, five physique, whatever. Um, rather than going for that guy who isn't a Chad, um, they, uh, their argument is, is that women would rather like at the beginning of bridesmaids, there's a very funny scene with John Hamm where Kristen Wiig is hooking up with him. John Hamm, super fucking hot. Come on, you know, like, let's just be real. So he's a Chad. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, Kristen Wiig in that movie takes being his number three fuck buddy in his phone um, over a meaningful relationship with a guy who doesn't have that bomb ass dick, job, facial structure, whatever. Um, Is there truth to any of the the incels complaints? Because I, I think I have seen studies where like on dating apps, women drastically overestimate their own um, looks and drastically underestimate guys looks. So like, you know, I think women will say like only 20% of the guys are above average but like 80% of the women think they're above average. Um, so like, that, yeah. like, is there truth? I mean, I don't, I'm not saying this is well, the reason. The, well, the, I mean, the, the, the headline on my article was sympathy for the incel. So yeah, I think that there are, yeah, of, 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 of course there's, otherwise, you know, why would all these young men be flocking to its, I mean, but the, but I think I, the, I mean Scientology uses some wonderful psychological techniques for getting over trauma. Unfortunately, it's also interwoven with using their stories about that trauma to blackmail you. You know what, you know what I mean? Like it's a weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are so many things that have wonderful insights to them, but then it's combined with um, 
just this, you know, toxic, detestable evil. Yeah, <laughs> which, right. which is what, yeah. you know, the dregs of that group is. It's it's really it's really a heartbreaker. I mean, that's the only way I know how to, you know, I just dorky kids just like fucking touch my heart like nothing else who like don't know who weren't who weren't like big sistered or big brothered about how to kind of be socially and that's a hard it's a hard world to figure out i think this goes back to what you said earlier about how people are lonely and um and and i think that ideologies provide a sense of community. So whether that's the SJW ideology and you're finding your woke people online, or if it's these incels, and then you have rules and, and you have enforcement within these communities, but you feel less lonely because right. now mm. you've got these people who are like your family. And uh, there's a real um, social pressure from within that group to stay. Like you said, if, if, if someone in the incel community is like, Hey, maybe I'm, I'm thinking of, going to hear this lecture or something that might improve yeah. me um oh yeah people want to yeah people want like, to keep you yeah, yeah. It, it's the analogy of what is it the crab that tries to escape the pot and the other crabs grabbing onto him and pulling him back down in uh it's yeah. like that the crabs they're gonna they're gonna pull you back and and uh but, but I think you hit on something really important, which I think is, is that people are increasingly, it's weird because we live in a, a world that where we have all these uh, gadgets and stuff that are supposed to keep us more connected. But I think, am I right in saying that studies have shown that people feel more isolated? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Well, there's actually a phenomenon. I can't remember the name of it, but I, I know I mentioned it in that Daily Beast piece um, where in uh, Japan, it's an entire epidemic. Of, of young men who they have a name for it like hegemadabagaba I don't know <laughs> not that but it's um or like nakamaka. are you mocking the Japanese people <laughs> uh, no uh yeah it's got a cool name but it's a it's a social I mean it, it, it's like a health crisis it's 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 men who all they do is they stay online and they are the people who are you know uh using these virtual assistant girlfriends um being like real life versions of the movie her where wow dating your yeah and so i remember looking at one chat on an incel forum that was like you know americans are not going to be able to ignore this after there starts being this version of that epidemic here in the united states and uh back to elliot roger which he said they um yeah they have a very uh they have a very fucked up sense of humor and this is where I have empathy for SJWs because their sense of humor can bleed over into real life violence. Mm. Um, and so uh, they will encourage each other sometimes to uh, be 
I think it's Anne Hero, A-N Hero, because um, I don't know, that's some reference. And they'll refer to going ER, which is, you know, going on an Elliot Roger killing spree, things like that. And you've got one kid who um, I remember listening to one of their podcasts and it's like, you can tell for uh, one person, it's a joke. There's a common understanding, you know, the way that, um, I mean, I, I have a friend who always, he's hilarious and he'll say, say things like, you know, like, oh, what am I going to do tonight? I think I'm going to um, just eat pizza and commit Sue, you know, which is like, it's a hilarious uh, to, use, to use Valley Girl shortening up speak for something as dark as, uh, you know, suicide. I know from being friends with that guy, that's not ever gonna happen. He's not actually having serious ideation. Um, but for a really, you know, fucked up, mixed up kid who uh, kind of like in Elliot Rogers case where the parents are just so not wanting to look at that fucking deal you know their kid who's like increasingly just entitled and angry and resentful and <clears throat> but um no no one no one is kind of no one has that check-in like i had with my friend where they know something is you know a, a joke i still i still don't think the answer is to you know censor fucked up comedy but like a hundred percent that's a real thing that can bleed into real life you know i mean where some people are joking and other people are, are yeah. serious because they're not yeah well and also i mean it's also very very much a uh a real issue that any of the recruitment and indoctrination of people into actual neo-Nazi um, organizations. And I'm not talking like, you know, uh, Majid Nawaz or like whatever the, <laughs> you know, insane Southern Poverty Law Center. I mean, obviously they gave him millions of dollars and apologize, but I'm talking actual, um, you know, KKK, Daily Stormer, you know, those guys talk about all the time using humor to get people in, to ironically share, you know, with someone uh, something about, you know, that's just, you know, disgusting. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it's like, I, to me, I, I think like you, yeah, the same way insoles have a point about that years ago, people used to just, women were more prone to marry someone who they viewed as being not high status. Yeah, that is kind of a thing. Um, it's also kind of a thing that, you know, some of this humor, uh, because it's like we're increasingly mentally ill and disconnected as a country, it can, you know, be combined uh, with just this increased um, rage and loneliness and it can lead to a toxic brew of 
you know, uh, suicide or, or murder or contagion. You know, I also think like the media is very responsible. Um, I, I remember there was a newspaper in Chicago that actively worked to not put any school shootings, things like that on the front page. Like, and now because of like that example I was using with me kind of winkingly knowing how to sell articles, which is not ever you know, I sipped a drink and it was okay, but instead a man tried to nag me about my drink and I told him, hit the road, Jack, or whatever. That's not a good clickbaity title, but whatever, you know. Um, right. uh, you could call me a Nazi. Yeah, like yeah, it's, it's all, it's all um, amped up and like a lot of people, I think, don't... Um, don't care about the effects of you know their contribution to this in one way or the other you know and and i think that um it's definitely worth reading um there's a like a special early release bonus chapter of a forthcoming book called hate incorporated and it's going to be a book about how the media contributes to that you know, kind of divisiveness that we're feeling. And it's, and it's also, it's also hard because I mean, I don't want to read about, unless I've like been like blissed out meditating for 10 hours and I've just come from some, you know, I don't know, seminar about loving your fellow man, not nonviolent communication or something. And I'm like, yeah, humanity. I, like, I'm not really in the mood to read some story about charity. Like I like the, I like the drums, you know, like I'm totally, I'm just as, I'm just the same as everyone else. Like I, I, I humans are, are wired to love all that bullshit. You know, it's like this, it's this like fascinating spectacle that we're drawn to because it allows us to not have to look inward. Yeah. Um, and also I feel, I feel like it's produced because I've, I've started to become more aware of some of what you're talking about in the media in the last several months. And I almost feel like I've become more cynical because now whenever I see any kind of headline about anything, I'm kind of like, yeah, it's probably bullshit. Like, I, just, yeah. I just don't believe anything unless I've like read the story and then I got to go read the other side and look for stuff. Like it's, I almost don't know what to believe half the time. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, uh, that guy who, I think he's a kind of problematic guy, not in terms of politically correct culture, but just in terms of like claims I've read about uh, stealing certain things, but nothing, you know, monstrous or anything. But the dude who wrote um, uh, uh, Four Hour Workweek, Timothy Ferris, um, yep. I mean, he straight up says in his book, like, don't don't follow the news. Like, it's just like a life suck. Like you'll, if something important happens, I mean, unless you're working in politics or you're working in, you know, I mean, if you're, uh, if you're working in the stock market, you want to know the hot new medical technology. Well, go to the conferences that the cardiologists go to and find out what the drug trials are that people are most excited about. That's going to be a lot more like worthwhile than watching you know, news where people are just yelling, 
But I think that uh, that same impulse for human fairness, that's why I wanted to do that Judd Apatow piece was because my just inner sense of like, hey, man, that's not, this is how you got rich was by doing this kind of humor. Like, what the fuck, you know? And now you're trying to score points with people who you are afraid will attack. Well, fuck that, you know? Um, it is like, that's, that's a that's a very um kind of you know low level impulse in me that's not me being like buddha or jesus or whatever you know that's like a very angry low level uh desire to try and take someone down you know but you did you did do uh you didn't just do oh yeah yeah you also no. made an example which was cool like it's almost like you recognize that that is uh not a wonderful impulse. I have those impulses too, to not, it's, it's an I, I, I balance. Both of you. I don't think that's huh? a necessarily a bad impulse. I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad impulse. Oh. I don't, I don't well, know. Well, here's I, what, here. because it's an impulse is coming from justice. It's an, it's, it's a, it's a sense of justice that's being violated internally. And that's a healthy sense. Right. Yeah, but spiritually. I, I, yeah. And also here's the thing is life is super fucking unfair you know what i mean and i think that like once you develop i think that in a way that is a little bit of a the, the reason why i'm not a super fan of that is because it's the same way that like millennials used to always pitch me these stories that were like my boss asked me to work over lunch and I feel violated, you know, it would just be these things of like, oh my God, you are in for a brutal awakening <laughs> to the world, baby doll. Like, I just want to hold you close. You are so precious. Like just life is so not fair. And so just like kicks you in the cunt repeatedly that I really think that you get so much more when you can sometimes transmute like rage and jealousy and all these things into an impulse that is like, um, you know, I'm going to do something that I'm going to make a comedy movie that, you know, uh, employs all these ideas. It's like, rather than, Rather yeah, but you, than like a finger pointing thing, rather than I, I just, I just gotcha culture is just so gnarly to me. It's just so stupid. It's such a waste of life, you know. Yeah, it's I'm not, I'm not. Made us, a, a it's, it's made us, gotcha it's made us a bunch of tattletales. We're all fucking snitches, you know. And it's just ugh. Sorry, right, but I, see, that's what I'm saying. I, I think that you did something positive with that impulse. I don't yeah, necessarily it's a bad impulse. Yeah. Right. You just then you have to be adults have lots of impulses. We just manage them. So then yeah. you have to like, say, OK, well, what's the right way to behave? Is it to complain that my boss asked me to, to work an hour extra for lunch or is it to like suck it up and realize this is the fucking world we live in? And in the Judd Apatow case, I think you realize that like, you can make an example out of him and perhaps have a start a wider conversation about this. Yeah, right? that's what I try to do. Yeah. And I, and I feel like I I feel like I saw a lot of people reacting to that to that um argument being put forth and that was very 
validating. So. Cool. By the way, just a, a, a just I this is more for my own edification. Are do the incels call themselves incels, and are they the same as the MGTOW people? Or are they different communities? No, very different. Um, so MGTOW is men going their own way. And okay. I think that is basically, I didn't really get too deep into that, but that would be men who are just like, never fucking like marry her bro. Like you're just like falling into the trap, you know? Um, okay. It's not succumbing to the kind of like societal constructs of, get her the diamond ring. And it's kind of this understanding, uh, or I shouldn't say understanding because that makes it sound like I'm validating what I'm about to say. It's kind of this uh, belief that women are, you know, gold digging, manipulative, like evil fuckers. And you can, you know, like have fun with these women, but kind of like always know that you're not going to ever let someone trap you into her okay. devious wishes. That That's my very, I might be that's, wrong. That's different than incel. Yeah. Cause incel is just like, like, like you, I mean, to be red pilled is to, you know, usually, Oh, you see that we've been lied to about a lot of things and, you know, uh, Project Mockingbird and the CIA and suddenly how high does it go? And a lot of times you become more libertarian. To be blackpilled is total nihilism. Like, oh, you look at look at this asshole who's like red pilled, who thinks there's a point to anything. And that's how it bridges over into kind of the encouragement to violence because why not make a splash on the way, you know, and it's like really. I mean, if you're a nihilist, why not commit mass murder? I mean, I'm not uh, arguing that you should, but like there's nothing stopping you philosophically at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's tragic is what it is really is yeah. that, um, that, that people are so devoid of a sense of hope and possibility. And that's the ultimate kind of stripping of agency is just, I mean, like, any incels watching, my dad, people used to fucking pass out when they would see him because his face was so fucked up after being shot. That dude got so much pussy because like, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you're attractive or not. It's all personality. It's all personality. Jordan Peterson, actually, he's addressed MGTOW before and the incels. And he's, he's sort of been like, look, if you, because the one thing they have in common MGTOW and, and the incel community is that they both have a really warped view of women yeah. based on their, maybe an experience with one woman or their experience with being rejected in the case of incels. Um, but he, he had a, he had a point, which is that, look, if every woman you've ever met has rejected you. It's not the women's problem. Like there's something about you that you should address. And, uh, and so I think, uh, uh, I think again, we're coming back to this idea of like you focusing on the internal rather than the external. And yeah. these communities give people really a, a great way, whether any kind of ideology, whether it's, um, you know, neo-Nazi or SJW or 
or MGTOW or incel, it, it allows you to blame everything on the external, whether that target is people of color or women, or, you know, uh, in the case of SJWs, the target is anyone who's not an SJW. Um, but it gives you an external target rather than, uh, and it keeps you from focusing on yourself. Yeah. It keeps you from improving yourself or figuring out, but, but to your point, yes, those guys, it's like, it, it's not about the outside. I mean, that's a factor, but that's not, you, it, it's not the be all end all. There's a bunch of other things there. Confidence is, I would argue, more important. Well, and then if you become a nihilist, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because who wants to fuck a nihilist? Yes, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy to, uh, demonstrate value and create status. It does not require good looks or money. All you have to do is, you know, is it, I, I think it's the Maya Angelou quote. If people don't remember what you say, they remember how you make them feel. People just remember how you make them feel, <laughs> you know, and uh, asking someone about their life and seeming kind of um, authentic and vulnerable and inward searching where it's not just like an act. That's its own kind of, you know, attractiveness. Like so many men don't realize that just becoming like a little bit fluent in psychological vocabulary while still retaining your sense of masculinity is an incredibly attractive and not that difficult thing to do to be able to you know look at things i'm not saying to do it in a manipulative way but like for women it can be so refreshing sometimes to have a conversation just about uh i don't know trauma and looking at you know ways that you like deal with it and process it and it not coming from a guy who when i say the masculinity i'm referring to there are some guys who uh it's like uh i i remember going on a date with one guy and like i like looked away or was bored or something. And he said to me, where did you go just there? Like, <laughs> where, where, where That's a San Francisco go? guy thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, um, I mean, I don't even know if that's non-masculine. It's just, it rings so false and so hollow and so performative. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So like, just like being a real person. By the way, I, I, one of your articles, I think you alluded to the one taste community um, yeah. or like that kind of, that kind of, I, so I was in a similar community years ago here in San Francisco. And uh, I feel like most of the guys have that kind of uh, false concern yeah. uh, going on. It's right. really, really quite popular. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm fascinated by, uh, I'm fascinated by the people who've spoken out and it, it's really actually kind of a tragedy. Uh, there are some people who've just been psychologically obliterated by having gotten the kind of, um, 
I think for some people, one taste and the orgasmic meditation community and that whole deal is really positive. But I think that there's a couple pieces that I've read where it's just been someone who's given over, you know, their life savings and um, so devalued uh, sex that like it really kind of screwed them up and it uh i don't know it's just kind of like a, a a bummer because i don't know sex is yeah no i, I that's that. i have a similar opinion about it like there's some interesting techniques and stuff but it is cultish kind of yeah. off and if any man wants to know i'm going to demonstrate really quickly this is the vagina you go like you go wait, wait your hand's not in your hand's not in uh frame there you go and down. that's what they teach you like that <laughs> for yeah. 15 minutes it's for 15 <laughs> minutes is what you're supposed to do is that all one taste teaches that's excellent um oh and in the beginning you say a grounding thing so i did it before i went i went with um my husband but then when i was single i wrote a story about it in 2013 and i chose this short little um hispanic nonprofit administrator who was like super sweet and like he did a great <laughs> oming job versus the guy who was like a piece of ass um the woman who partnered with him she was like yeah he just kept trying to fucking finger me the whole time like of course um yeah yeah um <clears throat> but my guy so what you're, what you're supposed to do is when you you build like a nest for the woman, you know, she gets all comfortable, but then you say a grounding thing. So you make a non-judgmental factual based observation about Ob the vagina. And so my guy, his grounding thing, his observation about my vagina, he was like, I see coral or something like that. And yeah, so. <laughs> You know, by the way, you can bypass all that. There's a book that all of the sexual techniques are based on called Extended Massive Orgasm, um, okay. which is on Amazon, probably under 20 bucks. Mm. Uh, so if you don't want to pay creepy gurus and get involved in a cult, you can buy a book with your partner and read it right. in bed together. Um, yeah. But so by the way, Mandy, someone's got a question for you um, in the chat, if you don't mind. They say, uh, what's Mandy's take on the Jim Jeffries gotcha with Avi Yemeni? And the fact that the media is ignoring it. Is it just off message or is there some special interest in protecting CC or Jeffries? I don't even understand oh, the whole yeah, question. Yeah, I, th I think there's, um, I think there are certain people that you just don't fuck with. And I think Jim Jeffries is like pretty much a liberal um, comedian darling since he, you know, went on Bill Maher and He's become, he's become one of the woke ones. I think he's, he, and it, to me, and this is just my opinion, he's one of the ones that I feel like it's, uh, it's performative. It grosses me out. He, he oh, makes yeah. me think of all these male feminists, you know, the self-proclaimed male feminists who uh, strut around telling you what a feminist they are. Like, it's just, it, it's, uh, anyway, that's my personal opinion. Is he the new Avatar? Is that what you're saying? I think he's an Apatow, yeah. I think he's I think he's performing wokeness. Well, I think his stand-up is better 
than isn't he? Yeah. Like, yeah, his stand-up is better. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sorry, that's not what you're comparing, but like, yeah, I mean, I thought it was pretty genius. And actually, uh, to, to point to another piece that I wrote for the Daily Beast, which was um, why you should always assume you're being secretly recorded, which I wrote after, um, what's that dude's name from Rebel Media, Ezra? Levant. Levant. Yeah, yeah. So did you see that whole scandal of um, the secret recordings no. back and forth? Oh, man, that is a fun little internet rabbit hole there. Uh, because he then did a recording that was like, I'm being blackmailed. And yeah, they are just these, especially if you're uh, hanging out with like millennials, that's a very, and I, and I know several men and women who have done a lot of secret recordings, you know, in battles with one another. Um, but yeah, so I thought it was, I thought it was uh, smart that he did that. And can you imagine? I mean, I would, I would, I would go fucking ballistic if my name was invoked as uh next to you know right after like one of the most horrific uh tragedies of our time because that's what did you watch the jeffries thing have you no okay no, so, so they recorded it they recorded it months ago uh with this guy and then after um christchurch they uh brought up they like used the interview and so i, I mean it's just uh pretty horrific and who was the guy they, who was? I don't, I don't remember his name. Okay. Yeah. If you, and, 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 and in terms of protecting it, I honestly think that like, you know, we're kind of like on the precipice of like, who even cares? Like most of the people who are making the majority of the money who really hit it big, they aren't doing it through a corporate model. They're doing it through something that they, you know, Rogan is the biggest podcaster in the world or Mark Marin completely just started in his garage, you know, and they're more people talk about those interviews way more than you hear anyone really talking about like late night monologues. So yeah, they may be protecting him, but it also kind of like, I feel like in the new media currency it just really isn't as uh significant because those aren't the power players and the power structures that they once were mm -hmm. even yeah. the thing i always say is like you know even like a soccer mom in iowa is like aware of the game behind the game now and is aware of like what a takedown piece is and you know everyone's understanding of how things work has so vastly increased there are no illusions and this yeah. is why i think they're they're starting to uh crack push back so hard on legacy media because you have people now who who know like you talked about carter who ha are have the cynicism to say this headline's probably bs um and and people don't trust the mainstream media the way they used to. And, well, and, so and it's have, a problem. Yeah, it's a but problem. So, 
but so I, but, but a great thing that's come out of that is that you have these independent media, like talking heads and, 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 uh, uh, people with opinions who are expressing them online, whether it's on podcasts or um, online blogs and, and people who've started following and getting most of their news through um, people like uh, Paul Joseph Watson or Ben Shapiro. And, and now that's why I think it's so obvious that legacy media is, and social media companies are targeting and trying to crack down and, and censor because it, it, it is disrupting these the old system. And so you, you know, someone like Paul Joseph Watson gets more hits on YouTube than, than CNN and some of these, all these networks combined. And so what does YouTube do? They start promoting. If you look at who they promote, it's all the mainstream. That that person that you named though, I mean, like he, he edited that entire Acosta thing. I mean, he didn't actually, I researched that. He he didn't. He did. Yeah, in fact, I pulled it into Final Cut myself and played around with it. Uh, wow. There was a sampling rate difference, slight sampling rate difference. So there's a couple frames that look weird, but no, it was not edited. Um, okay. It was just. Uh, I, it I, was, thought, yeah. I thought he was someone who had kind of a history of which I no. don't. I'm not. No, no I've, wa- I've watched him for a while, and they by the mainstream media, and they'll push that narrative a lot. That is a great example of what they do because they made. I took apart one of their pieces, the the mainstream media, where they completely it was so obvious that this was a hit piece on his credibility and if you're not getting into it and we don't have the time to get into it and investigate all these things but it, yeah. so I, I had friends of mine who were saying like you just said oh but he doctored that I was like no he didn't doctor it but but because you're maybe just seeing snippets of things throughout the day the mainstream okay. media tells you he did and uh and and then it's and then that's just becomes like the story and well, so, well, I mean, yeah. I do, I do think that he is a, a a rage and outrage merchant, you know. Which I mean, I guess I am oh, yeah. in some way too. Yeah, he does like, do that. Yeah, yeah. I am in some way too. I'm an out, I'm an outrage against SJW merchant. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you're a you smaller, you, you lost your life the way people. I mean, you know, cults fuck you up. You've suffered the damage. Sorry to interrupt you, Carter. Yeah. No, no. I, I, I just, uh, I don't, it doesn't matter what I, I forgot what I was going to say anyway. Um, well, we but, should wrap it up soon. Cause I have to yeah. go to the bathroom. I, I was, <laughs> that wasn't the reason I was going to get Carrie, but, but sure. Um, yeah, I, you know, this has been, this has been great, Mandy. Um, do you have any, maybe you can tell people, maybe we should plug your book one more time. Do you have your book? Next yeah, to you, you can. Yeah, so it looked um, like you threw it before, but hopefully it landed close to you. Try the try the cover. Try showing us the cover. There you go. <laughs> and you want people? How how can people? So if you go to if you go to unwifeablebook.com, you can um, get the hardcover, which Carrie just pulled out. Um, the paperback um, or the audiobook. The audiobook has a special bonus um, interview with Pat talking about what it was like to have his wife write a book about being a feral whore and uh, how he kind of reckoned with that. It's pretty funny. Um, uh, and the paperback has a bonus chapter. 
at the end. And I love it because it has uh, me and Pat on the cover. And this is taken the night of our uh, wedding. Uh, and yeah, I, I think I'm going to be starting a Patreon. So I thought about trying to do that before I did this interview and then taking a nap one out. So how should people follow you then for now? Oh, just, um, uh, Twitter's great. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook too. Uh, Mandy Stat, M-A-N-D-Y-S-T-A-D-T. And yeah, I have a podcast that I have not been doing regularly, but if people want to hear old interviews that I've done with uh, fun people like Artie Lang. And I did a great interview with uh, Donald Logue about sobriety and God, I did one, I did an interview with Owen Benjamin back in 2013. He might've been like my second or third podcast wow. that I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's at uh, riotcast.com slash news horror. And uh, I did penthouse column. Oh yeah, penthouse uh, column. And, and yeah, so the penthouse column, the first one I answered a question about a couple that had stopped having sex and my advice for that. And I was really proud of it. I love, I love giving advice. And I think, uh, I just love advice columns in general. But yeah, if you go to um, uh, penthouse, you can read these articles we're talking about and but most importantly, unwifeablebook.com and buy a bunch of copies. And I, that when you support artists that you like, it allows them to do other things, so. There's links to all that stuff, books, articles, and everything in the show description too, so people can Awesome, just thank you so much. And thanks so much for having me. Thank, thank you for coming, thank this you, was Mandy. cool. Mandy, um, and I, I can vouch personally for the fact that Mandy gives great advice. Thanks. She's giving me great <laughs> advice. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I, I love it because I'm so bad at uh, being in touch with my little wounded inner child that a big way that I get in touch with that, my needs and emotions that I press down for a lot of my life is by connecting with lovely souls like Carrie, which I guess this isn't a therapy session, so I didn't need to. <laughs> Say all that, but whatever. I'm happy to record and broadcast a therapy uh, session with you two as well, though, if you want. Okay, good. <laughs> thank you, Mandy. Right, well, thank, thank you, Mandy, you. for coming. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Um, everyone else, thank you for watching. Uh, please go to unsafespace.com or follow us on Twitter at unsafespace. Um, again, like, share, subscribe. Right now, we just... Uh, I think we might have a Patreon, but that's not what's important right now. Right now, we just want to share the show and get more people involved. And uh, I guess that's it. So thanks, everyone, for, for watching. And we'll see you next uh, next week. <laughs>